Hello, film lovers, and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast. The Films I Love Most podcast is recorded live with live messaging. So sometimes people do message in with very inappropriate comments. We can't help that. It's just the general public. So if you hear something that is offensive or rude, we try our best to put a stop to it, but it might just sneak through. So I do apologize for that. But anyway, let's move on. Enjoy this episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can. Bear with me one second. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I am just getting a link to moderate the messages. Bear with me. I won't be a second. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I still haven't got used to this yet, the, the message mm-hmm. moderating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just means that i can listen to the messages before we have them so that i can um filter out yes make sure we have ones that are appropriate to our show and not a little bit rude (laughs) yes or or totally derailing (laughs) yes exactly there we go i think i'm ready i'm going to click on there i'm going to click on this link i'm going to click it here and then hopefully it should all come up on the ipad and then nice. we'll be ready to shoot yay it's working excellent Perfect. how are you my love i am so good how about you how are you doing yeah i can't complain can't complain everything's you know everything's happening around us i'm, I'm still using the mantra um, it's not forever. It's not forever. It will end at some point. <laughs> yep. But yep, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, not too shabby. I've been really looking forward to this. Of course, I always look forward to our chats because uh, this is where me and Johnny B get to proper geek out about our favourite subject, horror movies. And today, Woo! very excited. Ditto, very nice. ditto. I... I've just been watching a bunch of sequels that I remembered really liking and I was trying to go back and being like, is this actually good or was I, you know, a teenager? Um, And so I'm excited to really dig into it because it is kind of an interesting topic that doesn't really get a lot of play. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it with you. I have a very sort of I, just a fascination with movie sequels for some reason. No matter what it's a sequel to, I just find mm-hmm. it really interesting about how, you know, I'm not naive enough to to think that, you know, all pretty much 90% of the sequels that are made are made for, for money, money reasons, mm-hmm. to make more money for the studios. But I just think, I'm just fascinated with the idea of people who like a movie coming together and thinking, right, how can we make another one? And coming up mm-hmm. with usually terrible idea. <laughs> so, so true. Just completely trashing it. Like, you're supposed to be a fan of the original. How could you have made that? And um, we will get into it. Like, uh, I've got a few that I would just like to highlight as probably 
some of the worst sequels, not just of the horror genre, but that have been made in general. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what do you think it is about what, apart from money, let's like take money out of the equation. What do you think mm-hmm. it is that drives? Why do we thirst and hunger for a sequel, Shani B? I think it's because we do like some of the worlds that people build. And some of the best horror movies have amazing worlds that we were so excited to be lost in. And so I think that that's what the studios know. They know we want to either hang out with these characters again or do things that these characters like to do again. And I think that's actually how they end up cheating. (laughs) They just sort of try to repeat. And whatever they're repeating is even less of a story because they rarely think through it, you know, unless it was planned. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Some films barely make, like, have enough material or enough story to get through one. <laughs> Let yes. alone two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> that's so true. You know? And somehow, yeah, somehow they, I don't know, they must, it must be, like, incredibly cheap to pay the writers. Like, there must be some sort of balancing act that they're doing because they're really only banking on maybe the opening weekends of these movies. Sure. Well, I think also a lot of um, writers take these gigs because this is where they sort of learn their craft, you know, mm-hmm. with writing a sequel, you know, because writing a sequel isn't easy. Not only have you got to please the audience, but you're working with already established characters. So if you are not the person that originated the story in the first place, it's quite a, sort of daunting job isn't it but I suppose it's really good for a young writer that's never written anything before to come in and do that because it throws you in at the deep end totally and it and I do like the box of sort of like what a sequel like what the rules are in terms of what you're going to need to do to make a good movie and I think when somebody really nails it it's because they're a super talented person who's getting their first chance and does not waste it just because it's a horror movie you know yeah no, I do, I, no, I do, do know what you mean. I do. Like, they don't throw that away. Just because they're making a sequel, they don't put any less effort and passion into that project, even if they were mm-hmm. making an original film. Yes, exactly. Like, I, even though <clears throat> Mike Flanagan isn't the writer of the Ouija sequel that he directed, but, like, that Ouija sequel is my favourite of all of the Ouija films because it looks the best. It's the most thought through just in terms of trying to really serve the story and the the filmmaking itself. And I don't know if that was on your list of sequels, but it's so good. And Mike Flanagan, as, like, a new director, just sort of comes in and, in my opinion, like, does exactly what we're talking about. Really shows that he has something doesn't waste an opportunity and then kind of gets things because he took it seriously well of course i mean he's done pretty well for himself he's gone on to do the the haunting of hill house series on netflix and uh and it went on to do dr sleep the uh, shining sequel as well so he's done really well out of that yeah he he's a great sort of person to think about when we're thinking about you know the the value of sequels and the worth of sort of staying in a world or staying with characters and I feel like he is he must be like a lover of sequels because he's really good at them like I thought Dr. Sleep was such a good sequel considering how all of the things it was up against I was so surprised no I agree with you I agree but I do I do also think that 
uh, when we're talking about the original master of the sequel, I don't think that James Cameron can go unmentioned. You know, Aliens, so Terminator 2, I know they're not necessarily within the horror genre. Alien sort of goes from the horror genre into an action sort of adventure film and Terminator mm-hmm. goes from a, like a like a neon, like what do they call it, sort of um, avant-garde sort of mm-hmm. technological thriller horror into a, you know, all-out adventure, you know, mm-hmm. cyber which is great but you know i think james cameron nailed the the sequels that he made what do you think i totally agree because i think james cameron is sort of the the best indicator for when a director is able to understand the source material absolutely stay in line with what it's sort of going for but knows exactly how to elevate it to make it that adventure experience and that's like what his eye actually is so he's able to both make something that isn't his, his, and also make something that's his because his sequels are so unique, even though we know the source material they're serving. Like most people would rather watch T2. Like most people would rather watch Aliens. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I think that, um, I think Aliens is probably the cleverest uh, movie sequel of all time because not only does it take established characters, but it puts them in such a different situation and not just a different situation but a completely different genre but that's mm-hmm. so neat and clever to do that not many oh, I, sequels can do that i totally agree i totally agree i think that's why i admire him so much because he knows how to serve like several stories at once somehow and i like that in aliens they like that is the greatest way to elaborate on what they're trying to allude to in in the first you know like this idea that a company would be so interested in something biological or something, you know, more science oriented. And, you know, for James Cameron to be like, no, I, I know exactly why they're interested in that alien. I have a great idea for what we should do about it. <laughs> and I, I love that they sort of go in there like humans would in the future thinking that, you know, we know what to do to defeat these things. We like know how to deal with this stuff and you just always be proven wrong. And I kind of like that <laughs> about what James Cameron is doing. Like, if you think that you're going to win or you think you're equipped, he'll absolutely challenge you to prove that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it. it's sort of created... And yeah, and it's sort of created this... Uh, this environment where, you know... The thing I love about the Alien sequel is that they market it as, you know, the first one, they were fighting one alien and look at the absolute hell that they went through. This time, <laughs> there's lots of them. Now, the only issue that I do have with aliens is that they do off those aliens very, very easily. And I just think to myself, if only they could have done that in the first one. <laughs> like, it's like, bum, 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 dead. Bum, 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 gone. Bum, 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 that so one explodes. I'm thinking they do. Um, I mean, they are commandos. So I suppose they have a different set of skills, to quote Liam Neeson. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I can imagine that uh, if they... If those commandos had been in the first movie, that would have been a very short film. Yes, yes. And we would have had to figure <laughs> out, yeah, we would have had to figure out sort of like what, where is the balancing factor between like if we're actually going to beat these things, then we kind of need this sort of firepower that James Cameron introduces. 
And what I, I like about the second one is he doesn't just, he's not just interested in the action of it. Like there is more of an explanation of like what's happening with this creature and what it all looks like when it's trying to take something over. And in the first one, like it was really just a single thing trying to survive. And so it is interesting, like quasi learning what it wants without actually going all the way there because you know we're with the people just trying to survive and the roles have really switched this time yeah no i agree and also bringing in like a young protagonist in newt was quite a Mm. good way of you know upping the stakes you know having a child involved that sort of makes you think oh you know (laughs) if it's the the gawney weaver and a bunch of commandos running around you're like well you know this is interesting but yeah it doesn't have that yeah. extra sort of element of danger does it with a not having like a, having a child involved well and i think i appreciate that a lot about 80s movies where like they randomly there's like always a child in so many movies in the 80s and i appreciate that because there's something interesting about how everybody <clears throat> in each of the alien sequels is all trying to like interpret you know how to deal with this alien or what it wants what's going on with it what it could be and I love the character of Newt because she just has no reason to feel this way. She All she really has to care about is like learning the way to avoid and survive it. And that's just something that like adults always miss because they, if they're hiding, they're cowards, you know, so they always try to fight and sometimes they win, but like a kid survives. And I, I like that little detail, especially from James Cameron, who, who never sleeps on the nice details. Like he's always thought yeah. of it and it's just so, so well done affirmative to quote little newt <laughs> yes yes um yes okay so let's talk, sort of want to go back i wanted to ask your opinion do you mm-hmm. believe like i believe that um dracula and i believe the 1930s version of dracula is the very mm-hmm. first sort of movie remake slash sequel i mean i I have to and say I'm referring yes. to it being <laughs> being obviously the um, the second movie made of that story because of Nosferatu. Right, right. Well, and that's what I mean. I like have to say yes because I have never really thought of it as anything else. You know, I never really actually tried to look at it as. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no. I have to say it is. I can't even see it as anything else, and I like how, I like how that's already indicating that you know people can get so attached to and interested in these characters even if they're anti-heroes like from the beginning of us putting them on film and I guess we've always had theater so we kind of knew that too but it is interesting how the document is much stronger when it's this visual document of like people could only wait so many years before they needed to do this again they wanted to go back I mean the universal monster movies were where you know, follow-ups and sequels really sort of cut their teeth, am I right? Because, you know, you've mm-hmm. got Dracula, you've got Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein yeah. goes to, the, to, I don't know, Hawaii? I'm not quite sure there's loads. <laughs> there's many. Well, that's something that I was thinking about too is, you know, like often they're making movies based on books and I think sometimes they made movies based on really large books. And so that just sort of made it even easier to do sequels. Um, and so sometimes I think about that too, that like 
and they came across a series of books, did that just sort of automatically make them think, oh, we will just make a movie for each of these books? Because that's what we sort of see with the young adult wave that happened, that like any book that was a series uh, was going to be made into movies and it would also be the same amount of movies. So I think about that a lot in terms of like, mm. what is a sequel today, right? Like it isn't just the same vibe of like the 80s and 90s where a group of people who really liked a movie got together and figured out how to make another. They're kind of cheating with sequels today. <laughs> They're like, oh, we'll just use a second book. Yeah, and they don't even call it a sequel, do they? They call it part two, or they call it, yeah. you know, like, for example, I think, is it Chaos Walking, I think, um, is the new series that's about to start with Tom mm-hmm. Holland, like a, a set of three books. You know, they're yeah. about to be released as a series, and, you know, each book has an individual title, so therefore each of the films will, even though they yep. are follow-ons. I, I, the, the sequel has changed a lot. I mean, even... And we're going to talk, I think we're going to delve deep into Halloween in a moment, if that's, a, if that's okay. Yes. I think that's a good place to start. Um, Hell yeah. But with Halloween, just to quickly mention, like the Halloween sequels to uh, the, the film that was released like two years ago are not mm-hmm. even called, you know, Halloween 2 or Halloween 3. They're Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. So it's almost like it's a continuation of the same story. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like sequels are this weird thing now where they're not about uh, the person moving on to another instance, right? Like a a group of, a trilogy I like to talk about outside of horror a lot is Die Hard. And it's because Mm -hmm. Die Hard is sort of three separate movies that they figured out could be chapters of a man's life, essentially. And they could all be connected to his life story, but not in a way that a lot of these sequels today where they sort of pick right back up and we're still in the middle of the big narrative right like time goes by in sequels in the past and today it is one continuation of the story so it's sort of like they're making a bunch of mini series but they want me to pay 10 more dollars and go to the movies <laughs> they're, they're asking you to pay 10 dollars for each episode basically yeah, and it, it never really gives me enough time to feel like my growth in between the films matches the characters. Like, I loved, uh, you know, with the screen movies, waiting a couple of years in between two and three, and then feeling like I'd grown up a little bit, so I see it differently. And it's just so weird how <laughs> today, like, I know the Hunger Games sequel was coming. I, we were all ready for each installment, and there was no real... Yeah like growth or time for us to treat these people as real people it's just easier to be like nope we're just continuing like a comic book essentially because as you know um, being a marvel expert uh, we got really really good at making it more about a whole world than just a sequel to a world mm-hmm. or a universe I mean. oh we yeah made a whole universe <laughs> a universe exactly and i do believe that the marvel films are not meant to be um sort of devoured individually it's meant to be a feast uh, of all 22 movies which i've just done again literally finished last week uh all all the movies again in preparation for one division so uh yeah love that but this is horror movies and i and when is the best time to watch a horror movie halloween so let's jump straight in to halloween okay the original halloween um is iconic 
independent mm-hmm. film. I think it was the most highest grossing independent movie um, until I think Blair Witch took it over. That's right. Yep. I believe you're correct about yeah. that. Um, and it kind of makes sense because they do both have a raw feeling to them, you know, which of course is what makes them so good. Um, but yeah, Halloween comes out so strong, unique idea. And the sequel is interesting because it is like what we're talking about where it does pick right back up. And I don't know, how do you feel about that? You know, like what, where, do you, where do you fall on the line of loving or hating Halloween 2? Well, with Halloween 2, um, I do wish that they had kept the same um, crew and director in time. I wish that John Carpenter had directed Halloween 2. Because yeah. it for me, it did feel like um, after Halloween had been released, there was a lot of copycats that sort of came after it. You know, a lot of slasher movies that tried to capture the magic of Halloween that yeah. never quite did. But then I mm-hmm. felt like that Halloween 2 was also trying to catch the magic of the first one as well, because it was a mm-hmm. completely different production team. So I felt like yep. they were as guilty as all those copycats were trying to imitate Halloween, but but they actually had, you know, the kudos of being Halloween and therefore yeah. carrying it on. I mean, having the same cast, brilliant. Setting it on the same night, brilliant. But I just feel like it's a bit generic. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I agree. It is definitely way more paint-by-numbers feeling. You know, like it's when I every Halloween I rewatch all of the Halloween movies because, as you said, it's the perfect time to. And every time I watch Halloween 2, I usually like will do things, you know, like I'm still watching it. It's on in the background, but like I'll clean up, you know, like I'm not I don't need to pay attention and watch all of the filmmaking the way that like when I'm watching Halloween, like I'm my phone is very far away from me and I'm like pausing to stare at the images of really good shots like I'm way more invested because I agree, like they just, they were a little bit more like copycats. It's just so funny that, I don't know. It's like, it is and it isn't a sequel because then they sort of like lose Michael Myers for an entire installment. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll definitely move on to that. But the thing is, I feel with Halloween too. I mean, it's definitely more violent. It's definitely more, Mm -hmm you know, raw than the first film. It doesn't really leave much to your imagination like the first movie did. Yeah. You know, I think the first movie, to me, is it, it has the same sort of a DNA as Psycho, you know, where you don't mm. see the knife going in necessarily. Do you know I mean, there's a lot of uh, sequences, yep. especially the sequence, for example, when um, oh, I can never remember the character's name, but he's the one with the big glasses, typical 70s. Oh. Like, yep. do you know what I mean? And and Michael Myers mm-hmm. pins him up against the wall with a knife. You don't see yep. anything. You see the knife go back. You see the knife go forward. And the guy is mm-hmm. just stuck to the wall. So it's all very suggestive. And I feel like that that's what makes Halloween even more scary because you fill in the gaps of your imagination. Like you did with Psycho. You never saw that knife go in in the shower scene. It never nope. went anywhere. Um, nope. But I feel like with Halloween 2... They weren't, they weren't bothered about that nuance at all. They were just like, come on, let's get a girl, let's shove her head in a boiling hot jacuzzi, let's stab people, blood guts, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think I agree. You know, like in the original, it, there is more mystery and it is more about our imagination filling it in and the paranoia of like, where is this guy who's like around right now? And in the second one, I, I'm not sure if they like did it on purpose, 
<clears throat> but they really do start to lose the mystery and make it more about sort of the evil entity. And, you know, as we both know, they're going to go down that road pretty far in the future and then they'll yeah. come back again. <laughs> but like, I don't yeah. know if that was actually intentional because, you know, there are, there are little bits of sprinkles of that with Dr. Loomis in the original. It's just interesting that like in the second, you're right, they ramp up the violence, they lose a lot of the eeriness and they make it more about like, this guy is a monster and he's going to get all of us. Yeah. No, I agree, and I do what I what I personally quite like about the um, Halloween Two is it's a based under siege story. So we have Halloween, which takes place across numerous households uh, across the mm-hmm. town of Hattonfield, but with Halloween yeah. Two, its main location is the hospital. I do like what I call mm-hmm. a based under siege story. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? I totally agree, and I love hospital based stories like this like when they're having to be in a hospital i just find hospitals in real life to be really scary places they just make me super uncomfortable even when i'm doing something nice there and i love that in halloween too they're sort of like walking that line because the staff like is so aware of what's happened out in the town but they like many are like well we're in the hospital like we're doing our own thing we're probably fine you know we're gonna help people (laughs) and i just yeah i suppose that is (laughs) go ahead go ahead I was going to say, that's the scary thing as well, isn't it? That you're in a place of healing, but you're actually mm-hmm. in a place where you're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, it's interesting because they're definitely trying to, like you said, they're trying to sort of capture the magic in some way or elevate, feel like they're in this world and they have something to offer to it. I just don't know if those things they offered were best just simply because of where the franchise ended up having to go off of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I do agree. And um, just a very quick observation for everything that I'm hearing about Halloween kills. um, It's Mm going to take on basically it's going to take a lot of that elements from the original Halloween, too, and be set Mm -hmm. in the hospital. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do that. Yes, I'm very excited for that. Because honestly, that is my biggest qualm with Rob Zombie's sequel to his Halloween is I just hate that he started in the hospital, made me be like, yes, he's going to give me what he gave me with the original and I am going to have the best night of my life. And then it wasn't that. And I was like, no, guy. Oh, shit. <laughs> I really felt like. Yeah. Duped. So hopefully. I can't even remember it. I can't even good. remember it. It's forgettable. <clears throat> I mean. Yeah, it's very forgettable. And it's also, I don't know, it's just like more, it's not even in the same universe, really, in my opinion. It just gets, it goes to a place where I'm like, I don't think we need to go there. Like, I would rather go back to sort of like the witchcraft than than this way. I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. Well, reportedly, Rob Zombie didn't want to make the sequel at all. It was almost Mm. like putting putting the contract and he was sort of, he had to do it. So hmm. I, I think that maybe he'd zoned out or maybe he thought, if I've got to do it, I'm going to do something a little bit different, a bit weird. Because it was weird, hmm. wasn't it? With, his, with yeah. Michael's mum kept popping up as a weird spirity thing. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a different movie. It was more of just like a straight up Rob Zombie movie instead of, you know, the amazing homage that he paid in the orig- in remaking the original. 
because um, I just feel yeah. like, you know, the original is so perfect. It, it is doing exactly what it needs to do in the exact ways it needs to do that. And the remake does that too, but it elevates in some ways that are pretty dark because Rob Zombie is Rob Zombie. And I think that's why I was disappointed with his sequel. Because I'm like, just make a friggin' sequel in the same universe, dude. You can sequel your own movies <laughs> this way. Yeah. Like, stay with me. <laughs> stay with me. In yeah, the world do something we're all different. Yeah, but don't touch yeah. this. Don't touch this thing that's sacred to, to, to so many people. Don't mess exactly. that up. But unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think we've had that discussion before that I found the first one, Rob Zombie's Halloween, difficult to watch in the fact that there was some explicit oh, yeah. sexual violence, which, like, I did not really make it through. I sort of went, no, 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 this isn't for me. Um, mm -hmm. And then I've never seen it again. So maybe I do need to give it a little bit another go, but maybe just um, <clears throat> close my eyes, yeah. put my fingers in my ears and get those. I would say straight up. Just go right to the DVD menu if you've got that or just ask somebody to fast forward to you for you because you don't really need yeah. it until he returns to like the, the original proper and like begins on the night of like that first 30 to 40 minutes is really Rob Zombie making his own movie, which is why I was like, can't you just do the same thing in the sequel? It's like you I got 35 minutes of like you doing what you think this is. And then you just did what we all expect, which we want why why couldn't yeah. you sort of stay there and i agree like when i'm telling people to watch this movie i always say there's like a very aggressive assault that takes place and it's like it takes place in a way that feels very real and i have never seen anything like it before so i completely understand why you're not down for it and i also completely understand why stupid rob zombie did that of course he did that's such a him move <laughs> yeah yeah no completely it's just such a shame that he did it in that sort of franchise, in that, you know, movie. Well, it's also you interesting know. to me because he, it's like he wants to use really grotesque things to prove that anti-heroes aren't the worst or something. Because, you know, he does that oh. to sort of show that, like, in some way, like, in some way, because that's happening and Michael is about to escape the, the institution, he rescues this woman in some way. Right, like he kills these men who did this to this woman. So we get the gratification of watching these men be killed immediately for what they've done, even though it was so horrific. And Michael does that. So it's a really weird choice, in my opinion, where I'm like, why does he always have to examine like the validity of how bad a person is? Like, why, why are we always looking at the scales and trying to one up evil when like, that's not what this story is about either. We really don't need yeah, that. Yeah, no, I agree. We do not need that assault yeah. scene. It's too much. I completely and utterly agree with you. Um, so after Halloween 2, obviously it does look like it's the ultimate demise of Michael Myers having been burnt to death in a, at the hospital at the end uh, mm -hmm. by Dr. Loomis and and Laurie. Do you think that, you know, Loomis has also met his, uh, his end, but as we will find out very shortly that is not the case good old no. uh, donald pleasant this paid for right. many houses i can imagine oh yes absolutely condos and houses all over the world probably um but that's yeah. an interesting <laughs> piece of this too right like the sort of dr loomis element and like how much of a how much he and laurie strode are connected to michael because of you know the way that this thing was built and how it sort of leaned on him in order to get notoriety in the original 
and then is able to slowly be like, no, it's really more about Laurie. Like, oh yeah, he's there. That's right. But like Laurie's where it's at. And that's kind of interesting because like the sequel is really about how they're like, they're both a team sort of in the end there. And, and I guess maybe they thought that they weren't going to do anymore, you know, because they do go in quite a direction with the third one. We do go in a direction, and I'm going to do my little song now. Ready? Happy, happy Halloween, yeah. Halloween, Halloween, happy, happy Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so annoying. God. So annoying, but, and also mm. hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what you mean. I think. Sorry, my my lost signal for a moment. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, I've got you. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea was that the Michael Myers story was done. They, that's what they, that's what the studio, uh, John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, they were all like, this is finished now. We're not, we're going to move on from it. But they still okay. knew that there was a, a thirst, a hunger out there for Halloween stories. So what they wanted to do was make the Halloween franchise into an anthology series. So first mm-hmm. came Season of the Witch. Um, Halloween 3 season of The Witch and then if that had been a success every year after that there would have been a Halloween movie but it would have been a different story altogether so Uh that was the idea behind it obviously that didn't uh, come to (laughs) fruit because um, Halloween 3 season of The Witch bombed uh, terribly (laughs) at the box office and not only that but I think fans were really myth about why they weren't getting their dose of Michael Myers. Very, very true and all tracks so well. Like, I, I've only maybe seen it probably like four-ish times because like I'll watch it if it ends up being on during like a marathon, but I certainly don't seek it out. And it's just such a weird, like if they did have this desire to do anthologies, it's such, it's a weird one to follow up with because it's so... It's nowhere near the kind of Halloween story they told with Michael Myers. No. You know, it's like such a strange ass choice. Every time I think of it, I'm like, I guess because the 80s, like people were really afraid of witchcraft. So we'll just keep bringing that in like every different which way we can. It's just so weird to me that they picked this witchcraft tale and that not only did they pick a witchcraft tale, they picked like an Irish witchcraft tale, which to yeah. me is, is hilarious. It's hilarious. well i can give you a little bit of insight into that so nigel neal and this is all off the top of my head because i've watched the halloween documentary quite a few times but michael Mm. uh, sorry nigel neal who was the writer of a series called uh quatermass in the uk uh so he was british Uh he wrote quatermass there was a few things i think hammer horror uh uh, adapted one of the tv episodes of quatermass into a film called Mm -hmm. quatermass in the pit which was uh, a success so it was mm-hmm. um, John Carpenter that actually asked Nigel Neal to come and do a sort of storyline for this new sort of adaption of the Halloween anthology series that he wanted to go along with. So Nigel uh-huh. Neal, a British writer, came up with this mm-hmm. story of witchcraft. Uh, I think that's why it has such strong link to um, the United Kingdom or um, United mm-hmm. Kingdom and Ireland. It has those links because that's um, Nigel Neal's you know, that's where he comes from. Right. And um, I think that Nigel Neal uh, left the project at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was because he was 
busy with something else or if it was uh, differences of opinion when it came to the script. But mm-hmm. um, I think that actually, I do. if I remember rightly, I do believe it's because I think Nigel Neal originally wrote it as being set in um, in Ireland or in the UK. OK, OK. Uh, but obviously that was uh, shifted over to America to make it more of a broad audience. Uh, for the American from the American audience, so um, right. a lot of the story was retained, but a lot of other things were added in by actually John Carpenter, who did have some hand in the script itself. So, like for example, uh-huh. the mask, um, the you know the setting, the jingle, and all that sort of yep. thing. That I think that was uh, Carpenter, but then the other side, you know, of the the stone, the rune, and all that sort of thing, that all came mm-hmm. from Nigel Neal. So. Yeah, interesting. Do you know what? I love this film. I think it's fun. Well, that's what I was going to say is that, like, I actually enjoy it when I don't at all consider it to be, like, in, like, when I think of it as Season of the Witch, a Halloween story, I'm like, this is great and it's worth watching. But it's kind of like I always am in the space where I'm, like, now really zoned in on Michael Myers and then I'm like, I can't watch it because I want to stay with Michael Myers. (laughs) And so yeah, it's interesting to sort of think of how it's easier to love when I separate them because they're so far. And that I that's such an interesting that's so interesting to know because I didn't know any of that stuff. And it is mm. it that's so interesting to know just how, you know, the like like wanting to go in this other direction, but then being really hijacked and like not really being able to tell his story. I actually wonder, you know, if he had more creative control the way that because the first was independent, John Carpenter did, that like maybe it would have been even better because it definitely has some stuff going on and most of my problems are with the lead characters, not the story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that if this film had been marketed as Season of the Wit without the Halloween 3 tagline or main title, I think this film would actually be a cult classic now. And I think it is a cult it's... classic in some mm-hmm. way. But I think yeah, that because totally it's linked agree. to the the broader uh, Halloween franchise, it's massively overlooked. I do think that if this was, this could have been a John Carpenter film, you know, a Nigel Neal and John Carpenter movie. And I would have loved yeah. that. Because oh, the music's absolutely. great. The music's terrifying. You know, the special effects are brilliant. You know, you know like when they kill the kids, like when they do the tests mm-hmm. and the kids and all the insects start flowing out of their eyes and oh it's brilliant it's i i personally love it um but its biggest downfall is the fact that it was um linked um in that franchise Mm -hmm. yep yeah i totally agree i feel like because because it's linked people either overlook it or they're not willing to like actually watch it with fair eyes you know, like it always gets misjudged before people even see it just because it's linked. And so I, I agree with you, you know, it's a bummer because it's enjoyable and I'm definitely not going to lose it forever. Um, but like in terms of the sequels, it's such an interesting one to think of just because, you know, right away they're going to pick back up with Michael Myers, right? Like even the, I guess like even the uh, franchise itself was like setting this precedent for being like, if you need to just go ahead and ignore the one that came before you. Like, if you just need to yeah. do that, go ahead. <laughs> do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like they kind of set that precedent up in a way because they were like, oops, tried that, didn't work. Um, We'll forget about it. Let's just come back to the story we were telling before. 
I mean, I think it's, you know, paying to your audience, but at the same time, you know, people want Michael Myers. That's what they should get. That's what I think. You know, he's an icon in horror. Yep. And um, they did in, in uh, eight, uh, 1988. Uh, they mm-hmm. did bring back Michael Myers for Halloween 4. So they do acknowledge, actually, Halloween 3 by calling this Halloween 4 um, oh, Return yeah. of Michael Myers. That's true. That's a good point. They do definitely say, listen, we're not going to ignore that it happened, but maybe we're not going to tie, we're not going to maybe do the work of tying it in. And actually, that's probably a good idea. Like, could you imagine if they tried to somehow be like, oh, somebody from Season of the Witch cast is like in the town where this is happening with Michael Myers. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of good they didn't do that. That's nice. Well, at the end of Halloween 3, it's very left open to whether they actually get to stop the threat, isn't it? It's like, stop Mm -hmm. it, stop it, stop it. And you you never find out whether they actually stop the bad guys in the end. But um, Halloween Listen. 4 seems to start with everyone alive. So I'm assuming that that was, was foiled. Um, mm-hmm. but, and also calling it the return of Michael Myers. You're like, okay, yeah, yep. this is definitely coming yep. back to basics. We're going back to the story that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Nice and safe. You're going to get what you can count on here. And I guess, yeah. you know, what is interesting is, I feel like even though they're, you know, they have different uh, kind of different pieces of the horror genre, they're exploring, you know, like going into the occult and all that stuff eventually too. Um, I love that they were able to create, you know, again, bring a child in and sort of like change this dynamic once more because Jamie Lee Curtis is a child in the original. She's just the kind of child that we know is going to face hard lessons because she's an adolescent. But in four and five with, the little um with little jamie uh Mm. it's just so much scarier like i remember really being way more scared of those when i was watching them as a child than the original because i was a child yeah kind of yeah it's kind of interesting and i wonder you know like how do you feel about four and five are you i don't know how do you feel about them i always group them into a trilogy so i always group four five and six together because they are pretty much a continuous story even though Mm -hmm. you know in in um in six we get a completely different jamie which is really like off-putting i think if you watch it but um so so true four (laughs) so true four i really like four i like Mm -hmm. it i think it's um you know it's got its moments my problem with four is that it's way too bright like, I know that in the original, there was those sequences where she was walking down and Michael was behind. But there was this, like, like real, like, grainy sort of realness to it. I feel like um, Halloween 4 is quite Hollywood, uh, quite bright mm-hmm. in those sequences. I think the way that Michael gets his mask back is laughable. You know, <laughs> in that, that he just pops into a hardware store, grabs the nearest mask, and it just happens to be the one that he was wearing. You know, all those years ago. I mean, as if that mask like somehow is needed <clears throat> in a general hardware store. Like, there's no need for that mask practically. Why is it in a hardware store at all? I know it's a bit sick that they still sell that mask, even though it was used as like the mask of killer who maimed many people. You know, only a few years before. It's a bit insensitive. It's a, I mean, it's super American. I feel like we do that stuff all the time. <laughs> we love oh, to be like, this is a horrible <laughs> thing. Let's idolize it. Let's all be, let's all think it's cool now. So yeah. that makes, I guess maybe that's what they were going for there. 
but yeah it, no. there's like these funny details that i agree like you know the the machine itself can't quite understand the vibe that john carpenter is able to nail because he's just in that space and i think you know the bigger the productions get the harder it is to like stay true to the feeling of you know what it is to experience michael myers versus sort of like the surprise and shock that they're going for as the franchise goes on so i feel like they try to make him more intimidating and it's like he was always really intimidating he didn't need to you know make his mask a little bit dirtier or uh make him move faster you know yeah no i agree with you and we also have um Donald Pleasant's back as Sam Loomis. Yeah. <clears throat> How he survived, God knows, that explosion in, in number two. <laughs> but he is back with slightly burnt face, quite crispy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I do like four. I think it's a strong return. I think there's some great sequences. It obviously mirrors uh, the period of time in which it came out. Like, the, the mm-hmm. films around it, do you know what I mean? It does mirror, sort of... You no, know, because this came out, you know, in the midst of, of Friday the 13th, um, yep. in the midst of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So mm-hmm. it was surrounded by these, you know, strong horror franchises that sort of wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Halloween, but at the same mm-hmm. time had sort of pushed forward and progressed with, um, like more storyline i suppose uh-huh. more imagination especially when it comes to nightmare on elm street absolutely so i suppose that this is you know it's it's the grandfather coming home isn't it and looking around and seeing that it's you know the technology and the storytelling and the investments of filmmaking have sort of progressed and left them behind slightly and i think halloween mm-hmm. 4 really tries to capture the vibe of those other franchises um, but there are some moments that just fall flat on their face, especially like the, the scene when Michael Myers is hanging on top of the car and they're driving along uh, yeah. and the girls are inside and the window's smashing. It's just, um, I mean, I know that's a little bit of a nod back to the when they escape from the hospital in the first one and, and he runs on top of the car. But again, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, in that sequence, you don't see him, you just hear him, you know, mm-hmm. but in that, Halloween 4 sequence, you see him as a stuntman on the top of the car, like, swinging all over the place. Yep. So they leave yep, nothing yeah. to the imagination. Nope, and you're right. It is entirely too bright, because all of that stuff is, is so... It's so easy to sort of see the seams and cracks of. And I agree, you know, like, everything has gone to the wind in many ways, because it's trying to sort of be of the time. Um, but I do like, you know, Donald Pleasant's return because I agree he he too is like the grandfather returning home and being like, hold on, everybody, let's take this more seriously again. Let's really talk about how scary this is. And I'm an older man, so you can trust my opinion of how scary things are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> he like comes yeah, around I think that- and is like, this is chaos, but I'll bring it back to the ground because I guess I can do that. Oh, I think if this film didn't have Donald Pleasance in it, it would it would have flopped completely. It wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, Michael Myers' mask in this movie looks awful. He looks like it's Why? made from like paper mache or something. Really Dude, bad. Why does the mask have to be the brightest white color you've ever seen for those like three movies? It's so white. Yeah. It feels like <laughs> there's no way. Like he'd never be able to blend in anywhere. He'd never be able to be uh, conspicuous at all. 
Uh, Can you imagine him hiding that. behind the bush wearing that mask? Yeah, I see you. Michael, I see you. That's what I'd be like. What are you doing, dude? Why are you standing behind in the mask? But then, um, then we move on to Halloween 5, which personally for me is the worst film in the franchise. It really Completely. feels um, a lot like a Friday the 13th. You know, like it is really way more focused on like the vibes of boobs and blood than it is in sort of like the grounding of evil that the other Halloweens strive to be in. And I agree, it's ugh, it's a real waste of time. But, yeah. <laughs> but I and guess I know, you gotta do it sometimes. Before anyone complains, I do know there were, was a lot of boobs and blood in the original Halloween movie. But this is just like ridiculous. There's whole sequences in this film that just do not make sense at all. So true. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and there's some really bad acting in this uh, film also from, I think it's Tina. Yes. Um, oh, and there's some, there's some like real gut-wrenching sound design where, you know, when Jamie is like screaming for Tina and having like a vocal fry in the back of her throat, it always makes my, the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I'm like, I can't stop that please stop that so it's just mm. there's so many pieces of that where i'm like this is like not enjoyable to watch and i don't understand i don't understand what happened because we were like headed somewhere maybe good with the return you know like they yep. had some stuff going on mm-hmm. and then we we move into this what i call a piece of trash uh, i think <laughs> the only thing about um halloween five the revenge of michael myers um the only thing that's good about it is the cliffhanger ending is, in, is slightly intriguing. Mm-hmm. You know, where Jamie, like, they think they've killed Michael, but then Jamie becomes sort of possessed, yes. and you think that she's going to become the next um, next killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's like, how my favourite part. Yep, that's my yeah. favourite part of the movie, because it's the only part of the movie that, like, needs to be there. Everything else you can totally forget from that film it will not matter in the long run but i do love that you know they try to bring it back to that space of like it was about like an evil child who grew up to be even more evil and maybe this is their way of commenting on like what happens in childhood sometimes contributes um Mm -hmm. and maybe you know jamie being a family member perhaps she has the same curse or something sure so and then they go full on curse. So <laughs> yeah. That. So here's the here's the logic of uh, the people that are making these films. So they come in with this amazing cliffhanger to Halloween Five, where you think that Jamie Michael's niece is now going to become like the protagonist, the killer in the movies mm-hmm. because they killed off Michael Myers. And then what do they do at the beginning of the next film? Kill off Jamie. <laughs> yeah, kill off Jamie and then perform a hilarious sort of like resurrection um, cult ritual situation that every time I see it, I'm always like, oh, right, that's the one that this one is. Oh, right, 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 right. Because, yeah. like, again, really does feel very foreign from like what we're doing, but very of its time. Like very mm-hmm. in that like, oh, the public is very afraid of occults in the U.S. for sure. And now we're going to bring it to this other thing that the public's always been so scared of. And it's going to scare them even more. And it just ends up being like too campy. Yeah. Well, can we just please note as well that this film stars Paul Rudd as Tommy Doyle? I mean, I always 
that always surprises me that Paul Rudd was cutting his Stella. teeth in in uh, Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers. We were saying about directors that take on sequels to like learn a bit more about the industry and they got and then go on to make bigger films. But I think mm-hmm. actors also do the same. You know, use the yeah. sequel or use a franchise to go on and you know learn about acting on camera and then go on to become stars in, in bigger things. So true. I absolutely agree. And I love that Paul Rudd is in this because it is interesting to sort of see that like part of what makes him so good is that like in his work, he's never he's never like self-aware in a way that makes his acting look bad. And somehow in The Curse of Michael Byers, where there is all kinds of total nonsense happening, he's like really looking at everyone like, guys, this is happening. And it's just an amazing performance mm. that is so unexpected because it's such a strange place for that kind of performance to show up. It's just a testament to how, like, no matter what movie Paul Rudd is in, he's so enjoyable to watch and he makes movies watchable, even if they're borderline unbearable. I completely agree with you. He's one of my favorite actors. I do love him. Um, you know. Now, The Curse of Michael Myers went through many like iterations. So I think the first story plot was meant to be that in um, Hattonfield, uh, Halloween was banned and it was trying to be um, suppressed. You know, like mm-hmm. people weren't going to talk about it. I, I think there's also like a, a storyline. I think it's in, I think it's in um, the Friday, uh, no, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it's actually Freddy versus Jason, isn't it? Where like oh, the mm. adults are trying to suppress the story, suppress the mm-hmm. the, uh, the conversation about the killer and hoping that if, if everyone just forgets about it, that it won't happen again. I think that was right. very similar to what the story of the curse of Michael Myers was going to be about. Nobody was going to mention it. No one was going to talk about it, was suppressing it. But then a group of kids, you know, rebel kids go off to try mm-hmm. and uh, do their own version of Halloween, which somehow brings Michael Myers back. Uh, restores him to like health or strength or whatever I don't know but this is what I think the original plot of Curse of Michael Myers was meant to be well and that's what I mean when I say that like it was a little too aware of like what it was trying to say and do because it was basically sort of like commenting on how at the time all these kids were like thinking the occult was cool and not like maybe taking seriously like being as scared as the adults were and so there is this idea that I think they're they're uh, tapping, which is like, you don't know what you're waking up. And there is also that element of trying to kind of return to explaining the evil inside of Michael Myers. You know, like uh, Dr. Loomis is always talking about how there's like nothing in his eyes and the devil is behind his eyes. And, you know, like th- that there's this evil force within him. And the curse of Michael Myers, like using the occult stuff is sort of like, hey, what if it's just that? Like, some people just bless, like, a baby or whatever, and it was him somehow. Um, let's go with that. Yeah. Let's go with <laughs> you that. Know what I mean? like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, there is two so versions. Short-sighted. There's go two ahead, versions ahead. of this film. So there is mm-hmm. uh, the, the theatrical release and the producer's cut. Now, I've seen both. I do prefer, prefer the producer's cut, although the producer's cut is more baffling. I still don't understand what the hell went on. In that film, it's really <laughs> odd, but it, def- it definitely has more like mythology, more sort of harking back to, you know, sort of rituals and the supernatural and witchcraft. It leans more mm-hmm. heavily on those aspects 
And I do like the producer's cut. I do believe you can actually get the producer's cut in America on Blu-ray. You can't get it here in the UK, though. Oh, For love nor money. I'll I'll have to get it. Yeah, have a look at it. It It's a much better version of the film, I believe. Yeah, I think think I've seen it. I think I have at least seen it once because I know that when I rewatch it or if I like catch it on um, HBO and stuff, sometimes there are scenes where I'm like, I could swear there's a scene here. What's going on? So I think I've seen it before, but I would love to rewatch it and kind of and really try to study the differences because it is interesting, you know, tapping again the season of The Witch, how like there's an idea and then someone kind of comes in and morphs that idea. And it's sort of for worse because that's kind of what happens with season of the witch and the curse is sort of like phoning it in and just way too short sighted kind of in the same way. They're like season of the witch really underestimated how much people loved Michael Myers. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I completely agree. Uh, Shani B, would you mind if we skipped, not skipped, but just sort of, talked a little bit about h2o and resurrection because i'm very aware that we have spoken about that on a previous uh show when we were doing our slasher movies of the 90s mm-hmm. um yeah absolutely. because i i would really like to go into the the new iterations of halloween i.e halloween that was released so here's my question for you okay, okay. what do you think about and, I, and i'm asking this question to the listeners as well and i'd like your opinions on this what do you think mm-hmm. about um, sequels to movies being released with the same title as the original? I mean, honestly, that is something I don't like. I, I don't really know what to do about it because it's sort of like then we would get stuck being like Halloween 12, you know. But I like subheaders and it is weird because it sort of feels like that's going to make somebody miss the original. And I would much rather them see the original first before they fall in love with an iteration that is so far away, you know, is such another interpretation. Exactly. But it's also been released. um, Kevin Williamson announced last month that the new uh, Scream movie is going to be called Scream. Yep. I guess. All right. (laughs) I guess, like, I mean, they can't consult me. Sadly, I don't get to have a say in these things. But I don't know. I, It's strange because I think it's like a new trend, right? Like, when when someone remakes a movie and it's, like, 20 years later, sometimes they use the same thing, but it's pretty clear it's a remake. And I guess they're not – they're sort of, like, doing both remakes and sequels now. So I don't really know – I don't really know what that means when you name it the same thing, you know, like – Danny McBride's Halloween is both a continuation of the original story and also somewhat of a remake of that story by changing what that story is. So is that what Scream's going to be? Well, it's going to be a continuation, isn't it? Because we're going to have... But, I mean, I think that Scream might have done it ironically as it is (laughs) what other horror movies are doing. So therefore, Scream did it with its tongue firmly in its cheek saying... You know, this is what franchises are doing these days. So we're going to do it because we are, you know, meta and we are a social commentary on the horror genre. So maybe that's why yep. Scream are doing it. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right about that. And I guess we'll have to see because it feels like, you know, that these trends are really hard to understand until we get some retrospect. 
And it's kind of a bummer that like, I don't know, we're not too smart to have figured out how to get some retrospect immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish overnight I could have the same amount of retrospect that I have like a month later so that I could just get through these things faster. Cause I just, I am really interested in figuring out how, you know, what Scream is going to look like when it does this, when it, you know, whether or not it's able to do that in a meta way and stay true to itself that's what I'm really curious about. I just don't know how, how that can be possible. Mm. I mean, I feel like had... kind of negative, but <laughs> I'm, I'm scared. No, and, I'm and so scared. I know, I do understand. But, you know, listening to people like um, Cliff Dorfman, who is a good friends with um, uh, Mr. Arquette, David mm-hmm. Arquette, and, he, and, and he has said on here in a chat that actually I did with him, uh, said that mm-hmm. David Arquette had said to him that the script is very, very good. Okay. So obviously David Arquette's not going to say the script is bad, but if he did have that opinion, I don't think he would have said anything at all, if that right. makes sense. So... I mean, I'm excited. I, think, I am excited. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited. Um, Before we delve into the new... Uh, Halloween trilogy uh, starting with the film a couple of years ago and how we feel or think maybe the story could go in the next two movies. Would you like to um, mm-hmm. just to listen to some messages quickly? Yeah, let's take care of them. Excellent. Here we go. Okay, check this out then. Which sequel mm-hmm. is better than the original? Equal better Ooh, than the, original, a... the horror genre, Shani B. Yeah, this is a hard one for me. Because I don't... Uh, you know what? It's Evil Dead 2. I'm going Evil Dead 2. I really love Evil Dead 2. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see Evil Dead 2. Definitely. Um, I struggle. I do struggle because there is not many horror sequels mm-hmm. that are better than the original. But I'm going to throw this out here, and this is controversial. Okay, Ooh. but I do personally believe that Friday the 13th Part 2 is better than the first one. Oh, I totally agree. You you nailed it. I, I was oh, okay. too afraid to go on the nose because I, I figured that that would be an easy call and everyone would know I'd say it. So I thought, I'll go Evil Dead <laughs> a lot cooler. Yeah. But you're totally right. That's a great call. Yeah, I do prefer um, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 uh, much better. I, I can't think of another one, either, even modern, like, horror franchises, which, nope. you know, sort of build on. Um, I mean, even something like The Conjuring, I would say. I would, I would actually say Annabelle, uh, the, late, the mm. latest Annabelle. I think it's called Annabelle Comes Home or something like that. Um, I yeah. would actually suggest that that is a better uh, sequel um, than the original. Boom. I gotta rewatch the those movies. I haven't seen them since theater times, so I have to go back because mm. I don't often rewatch a lot of the like more ghost story ones. Because as you know, I'm a real lover of the slasher, but I do yeah. remember uh, thinking that The Conjuring Two was like was like a little too intense, and being like, "Whoa, mm. this one has too much story for me." Because the first one was like easy and contained and reminded me of like the norm core 
uh, sort of haunted house movie, you know, like a poltergeist sure. for the new age. And I loved that. Um, but I got to go back and rewatch the Annabelle's because I'm not tied. So I got to go back. Nice. Well, personally, for me, this, the, I, I have a more of a connection with the second one because it's set, you know, in the UK and it was quite yes. nice to see that sort of that genre crossover into like a UK setting, like quite a rural, yeah. you know, like a, a usual road in Enfield in London, you know. And seeing that Britishness come through in quite a big budget um, Hollywood movie, you don't get to see that very often Good. outside of like um, like James Bond or uh, like a superhero movie. You don't get to see London in that big budget way. So it was quite yeah. nice to see that in a horror film. But I'm just being biased. No, no, I was thinking about that because I actually just watched The Conjuring 2 last night because I'm going through them ah. on HBO Max. Yeah, I'm going to go do like all of those, that universe. And I was just watching last night and I was thinking like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this because it's a sequel. And also it is in the UK. And I wondered, yeah. you know, like, did, did they do like a good job or were they like using that as a device? Because I feel like in America, we often use foreign settings as devices instead of to actually learn something or actually immerse. <laughs> so I wondered, you know, like, are we doing the same kind of thing where we're just trying to make it scarier because we're like, ooh, we're in London. You know yeah, what I mean? no, definitely. The, the story of the Enfield Poltergeist in The Conjuring, it uh, takes a lot of liberties, hell of a lot of liberties. But if you want to go <laughs> and, and, and research the Enfield Poltergeist uh, separately, it's a fascinating case there's been uh, a tv uh, docudrama made about it you know it's a real case you know wow. it, it, it was on it mm -hmm. was hit the headlines of the uk in the 70s you know and the warrens did go mm -hmm. over and and advise about it it's amazing so i do have to like deep dive Woo, that's so cool yeah. it's so cool to be talking about that with you and also i'd just like to um say if anyone is interested in the warrens um i've got their um, the book that was written about them called The Demonologist, which goes through pretty Ooh. much all of the cases that they were involved in, from the Enfield Poltergeist to Amityville. It talks a lot about the Annabelle doll. So, yeah, The, the, uh, the wow. Demonologist, it's sort of like a biography on the Warrens. It's really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, like, there is something interesting, too, about how The Conjurings are kind of like anthologies. Um, even though the Warrens show up both times, it's sort of like there is this anthology piece because it's kind of like in that book where they, they did all of these cases and there's not really a cohesive story in the cases, but damn if they don't do a good job trying to make their a cohesive story in the cases. Yeah, I suppose it's... Do you know um, what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I suppose the, the glue that sort of keeps them a little bit together is the relationship between... That's their... Um, sort of, you know, the relationship between them as a couple, mm -hmm. uh, as a family with their daughter. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's the glue yeah. that holds the series together. But I do, I do agree with you. Anthologies is a big part of the Conjuring series. Very cool. Yeah. So sorry for the sidebar. Let's um, <laughs> let's keep taking these ditties and and then talk Halloween again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the third one. Um, Ditto. The, I think it's called The Devil Made Me Do It. Yes. 
I like. See, that's what I mean. You know, just give me an amazing subheader and I'll be just as excited. You know, you don't have to call it two, three, four. Just give me a subheader and we're good to go. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, let's hit another ditty, Mrs. Because um, I'm going to um, just approve this one. Right. Are you go. guys excited for the new Candyman movie that's about to come out? Fuck yes, I am. Oh, hell yeah. So excited. We should have had it by now. It's so sad. It's true. And, well, I guess maybe it's okay for you and I, because since we haven't had it yet, we can do a very specific talk, just talk in Candyman universe, because there's some good sequels in the Candyman universe. And this will be, uh, I guess, a remake, right, of the same name. So there's a lot for us to really dive into in the Candyman universe. And we sure. wouldn't have gotten to do that uh, if it was already out. We wouldn't know each other yet. That is true. That is true. And I would love to do a talk about, you know, we, we did mention um, the Candyman films, didn't we? I think it was either last time or the time before we mentioned them. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, I definitely need to. We, I think we need to do the trilogy, don't we? And then do the the new one. Do Absolutely. like a whole discussion about Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I think it's going. I think it's it's definitely going the way of uh, talking about a couple of franchises at a time because we've just got we've got so much to say about them. The listeners have. So um, this is an hour and a half show, guys. So it looks like we're going to be talking like maybe one or two franchises at a time. So. If there's any franchises that you would like us to talk about, then hit us up on Instagram. Uh, they're connected to our bios. So if there's anything you'd like, particularly like us to talk about in a future episode, uh, let us yeah. know. If we haven't seen the films, then we can have a have a little viewing, can't we, Johnny um, B? Absolutely. I would love nothing more than to be able to sort of dig in as deep as we are now because I agree it's like there are so many to talk about but I love talking about them with you and kind of following these tangents so it's just too hard to fit everything in we got to keep setting up more time oh dear what a shame <laughs> <laughs> I think we do it on purpose so that we will always always have material for future shows so we I can mean, keep going on and on and on it's true, me and Shani B, no accident. Yeah, me and Shani B will still be here when we're in our nursing homes talking about horror movies. Yes, hopefully in the same nursing home where we also host our <gasps> podcast. Yes, and we scare the living bejesus out of the rest of the residents. <laughs> yep, that's us. That is exactly what we'll be doing in the future. Where we watch The Conjuring Forty Six with all with the rest of everyone else. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, oh my word. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what it'll all look like. Exactly. Right, let's hit another jello. So I'm a horror movie fanatic, and one of my favorite horror movie sequels is Saw. They're coming out with a new one this year, May 2021. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. But Saw is the best movie ever. Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one we should cut time out to talk, you know, just like we're doing with Halloween now, because there are so many Saw sequels. And there is one coming out. And it's interesting how, just like in the Halloween franchise, like some of them feel more connected or more purposefully connected than others. 
And it would be interesting mm-hmm. to kind of revisit them and think about them a little bit more like I am thinking about other sequels. I definitely don't give the Saw franchise as much credit because it's more creative in the kills than it is the stories, as far as I remember. Mm. But I'll give it another try. I think Saw basically suffers from the fact that we were getting one movie a year for so long, for like sort of five, six, seven years. And I think that the mm-hmm. quality uh, suffered because it must be very difficult to make and write and sort of produce a movie in such a short space of time and keep it's up so the, the quality that, of the previous installments. I personally think that the first Saw movie is a work of genius. Uh, I do, yes. but I believe that from that, from number two onwards, the, the quality and the story just ended up going downhill and it became laughable yep. by the end. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it became a caricature. I, yes, exactly. But I'll tell you what, I am very intrigued by this next one, Viral from mm-hmm. the Book of Store. Because, um, you know, the whole, the whole genesis of this film is just weird that Chris Rock had an idea for a Saw movie and decided to have a discussion with some executives about it. Went to the offices, yep. had a chat. They went, yeah, okay, let's make it. So Darren Lynn Bozeman said, okay, I'll direct it. So this has all come from the mind of Chris Rock, who is starring in I mean, the film with Samuel Jackson. I mean, honestly, that is why I think it is worth revisiting. And I'd love to talk about it with you because I like how we see things so similarly, but we have this wonderful separate nuance that just makes me so happy. And I think when we're going to talk about Saw, that will be, that is where our strength is. And Saw is a perfect place to stretch it because it's kind of like, what does he see that we could see? Because he's a fan, right? Like he has nothing to do with this universe. Just like you and I, he watches them in the theater or when they come out and likes them. And it's just amazing to sort of think (laughs) that you could be in a position where you could just have an idea and then just go and they'll be like, great, if you can make it in under a year so it can come out really quick, it's yours. Mad. Madness. Was this one, I think this is also a film that should have been out already, uh, but mm. has been um, postponed. So this is the thing about COVID. I keep sitting thinking, God, think of the things that we would have seen by now. But I suppose oh, so we will get to see them eventually, won't we? We will, and I agree with you. I feel like we should have already because what what I think we know is true is that people always go to the movie for go to the movies for horror movies. Like even the cheapest made horror movies end up making pretty good profits because people just love to go get scared. And for some weird reason, I don't know why they think that at home people wouldn't want to be as scared because they keep being like, "Oh, I'll do the straight to you know movie theater release for this like drama." And, oh, no, why isn't it making a lot of money? <laughs> you know, it's like they yeah. don't even try things that often make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just one of the cheapest genres to make for, isn't it? All you need is some, you know, fake blood and some like little sort of patch to it. You know, like we saw it was the fact that there was a guy who was sort of forcing people to become better. And if they didn't, they died. I mean, it's just a bizarre you know, story, but worked really well in the first film. Mm-hmm. And then just became yeah. an all-out gore fest that uh, taught yeah, I mean, torture porn. Well, that's what I mean. It's It was such an, a very bizarre kind of 
idea and motive in that film. And I think that's why the first one is so genius because it is a lot like Scream where it's sort of commenting on this torture porn genre that doesn't even really exist yet in a way and sort of saying, you know, you, you don't really get two good choices. Like if you're a good person, it means you made the best choice with what you had there. And even if that was bad, the end justifies the means. Like it's a really strange examination on just character in general. And I think that's why it is disappointing that as it went on, it became a little bit more of like, we got to turn these things out. And what people really like are the very creative ways we're like blowing up heads and, you know, breaking bones and cutting things off. And they just really, I mean, like, honestly, the creativity of how people are getting killed, it steps up every time and it is very good. It's just so um, not memorable, really, because I forget where it was coming from or who it happened to or which one it was in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Story suffered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank yeah, you very we'll much. And we, and we we definitely will uh, be reviewing that movie uh, when it's released in May. Hundo P. I can't mm-hmm. wait. Right, let's hit a ditty. I love Halloween 5. So awesome. I love Michael Myers. I know all about him. Like, that's crazy. But I love having five, four, three, and two, six, seven, eight. I know all of them. They're the best. <laughs> Big Halloween fan there, I think. Love it. Yeah. I think um, someone's got to uh, to love Halloween 5, haven't they? For sure. Somebody's got to be... Uh, uh, what's the word? Loyal. Somebody's got to be loyal to all of these yeah. things regardless. There's always got to be one. Absolutely. Uh, great question. I'm really glad I picked up stereo today. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, as far as I'm concerned, um, yeah, you if you're nice. re- renaming a, a reboot or a sequel after the original movie, um, I think it's kind of a no-no. Um, I mean, unless you're going to mm. Unless you're confident enough that you're going to destroy the original uh, in terms of quality, um, one way or the other, um, yeah, you might as you might as well preserve that that bout of history. I think, um, especially if you know the original was so good. Um, otherwise, I think it comes off kind of cocky. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, great talk, love it. Thanks. Thanks, BK nice. Talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Coming you up know, as cocky. Like, what do you think? I mean, I I do think that that is an interesting way to look at it because I think in the case of, like, what Danny McBride is doing, it feels cocky. You know what I mean? It just does. It feels really cocky. But, like, in the case of, let's see, um, maybe, like, the 2006 Black Christmas, it's campy, and I kind of love it. Um, But, yeah, you know, like, again, remake versus sequel versus continuation versus reimagine not sure what it all means and so i guess we'll have to see like you know the what what people end up doing with these sequels and reboots as they continue them because it really doesn't feel like michael myers is going anywhere and the guy is 50 no he's got to be like 70 if he was a real person now (laughs) yeah i have no problem with them calling a film by its original title if it is a complete and utter reimagination reboot but calling a sequel by the original title, I do agree with BK Talks. It does come off to me as a little bit of a dick move. 
yeah, yeah, it's it's rude for sure. Um, I feel like so it just tries right to confuse too. people. It is. It's super confusing, and I think that is part of the cockiness. And I think that's why I wonder if you know maybe you're right about Scream doing this as a way to comment on that. Yeah, I think so. Because it is. Because I don't think yeah. I don't think Scream would do it because that you know Scream is always the most self-aware you know mm-hmm. franchise in the horror genre. So I just think that they are commenting on the fact that a lot of um, stories and a lot of you know horror franchises are doing that thing where they're just forgetting about previous installments just to, to, because they mm-hmm. feel like that they are creating something better, which is cocky. Very cocky. And also almost always like kind of wrong. Like, I guess they end up creating something different no matter what. And I like, you know, when someone asks, what are some sequels that are better than their originals? Like it's pretty rare. You know, even though the original mm. Halloween came out so long ago, there's not like a, a bunch that are better than it. And H2O even is my favorite, but I can't think of that as better because it's just so perfectly in the world, in my opinion. So it's not better or mm. worse. It's perfectly fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think as well, it comes across, you know, even though these films are not necessarily you know, great movies, not necessarily like the best installments in the franchise, but, you know, people Mm -hmm. still took time over them that, you know, the actors put what they could into them, the writers, directors, the producers, people worked on those films. And I just think it Uh is a bit of a kick in the teeth when they, uh, you know, go and watch the next installment and they're like, oh, by the way, everybody, all those other installments didn't exist because we don't want them to exist anymore. We thought they were trash. And there's someone going, hang on a minute, I put a lot of work into that. Of course, of course. And I I think that's what we were talking about at the top of the call, too, is like what makes a good sequel is that it doesn't try like it has to be in the box of waking up a world and fitting into that world. And some of these remakes are sort of like, no, I'm not like going to do that challenge. I'm going to like do whatever I want. And like you're going to have to like it because that is the trend now. Right. Like. I guess that's where it yeah. started, you know, like John Carpenter did what he wanted, but he started something. He didn't like cheat and do what he wanted with something that was already established. And I think that's where the cockiness comes from. Like, I don't agree with ignoring all the work that people put in and all of the thoughts and like well wishes that people put in in terms of how they could serve, you know, this story and these characters. And to just be like, you totally misinterpreted these characters. You were so wrong. This is how they were supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I do believe. Cockiness. Cockiness. Right, we're going to get through Mm -hmm. these last three messages, guys. And then we're going to do a little bit of commentary on um, the new Halloween uh, trilogy, uh, which is Mm -hmm. only one at the moment. But uh, we should have seen... Halloween kills already. God damn you, COVID. Um, so true. And then we're getting it this year, uh, um, but next year we'll be getting um, Halloween Ends, which is quite an interesting title. So we'll get through these messages mm-hmm. very quickly, and then we'll uh, we'll discuss that. I agree too. I love all horror movies. I love Friday Thirteen. I love Michael Myers. Like awesome. Like I love Part Five. <laughs> That's where Jamie could talk. Like, she started talking when her uncle came along. That shit crazy. 
<laughs> Halloween yeah. fan right there. Although I actually am looking at the Evil Dead remake that is just called Evil Dead and realizing that that is really good. But it was also made by the same people who made the original Evil Dead. So Word. I don't know. I guess I, I've, I've compromised myself in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy that. <laughs> it happens. You know? Yeah, it happens. The, that's the best part about sequels, right? About like when there is this desire to stay and represent the original, even in a reimagining, that's what makes a good sequel. And that's when it isn't cocky. But it's sort of when you're going to ignore everything that came before, not really be informed by it, but do your own thing. How can how is that not cocky? Right. Like that's very selfish and self-focused. And that certainly doesn't serve me. And I'm the one who's supposed to be selfish and self-focused because I paid the ticket. I paid for the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with with H2O, you could sort of forgive H2O from like forgetting the the three sequels that came before it because you could sort of fit them into that world you know you could like imagine that you know laurie strode fakes her death you know which she Mm -hmm. does in the film you know she states that she did that um Mm -hmm. so you could definitely uh piece those installments together you know it's not like halloween hr completely jettisons uh halloween uh history but obviously the uh the latest movie does completely and is is unashamedly out there saying pretty much everything after the original didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. Mm. Not a fan of, of that mm. perspective. But let's talk about the movie itself. You know, like, how uh, how did you feel about this movie when you first saw it? Okay, so um, I first saw it, I was working at the London Film Festival at the time, and it was the last day of the festival was the day that um, Halloween was released. So it was on Halloween. Okay. And um, we, a big group of us went to watch it before we went to the, uh, the closing night party. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself. I thought it was neat. I thought the storyline was good. I thought the kills were great. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, you know, I loved the sort of little nods to the original, you know, the things of like when, um, when uh, Laurie Strode's, granddaughter is sitting in the classroom and she looks out the window like laurie did in the original yes. and she sees laurie sees mm-hmm. michael myers but the granddaughter sees laurie i think it's just really like mm-hmm. neat and clever like that um would i would i think differently about this film if i knew now that there wasn't going to be two sequels i think i would i think i'd probably actually like the film a lot more if i knew that it was mm-hmm. sort of isolated you know sort of condensed story and, and we we're only going to get that but now that we're going to mm-hmm. get two more installments um you know i i feel like i feel a little bit sort of i don't know i just feel that there could have mm. been more elements i feel like halloween 2 uh the original halloween 2 could have definitely have been incorporated into the story i don't see why there's anything in halloween 2 the original that contradicts anything that they are talking about you know in their in their story. Do you know what I mean? It would be easy that, you know, Michael Myers was involved in the, in the fire, but he was like survived it. And then they put him in prison. There was nothing about Halloween Mm. two that contradicted anything. So I was a little bit disappointed that they, um, they jettisoned that from the, uh, from the story. Yeah. I think that's exactly where my problems with it lie, because I agree. I saw the midnight showing of this movie and was like, wow, that was insane. 
And I, my big problem is I don't understand how it doesn't fit in to the rest of what's going on here. Like she very well could have had a son who just doesn't talk to her anymore because she became a recluse and very well could have gotten pregnant somehow and ended up having a Judy Greer situation and continuing to be that weird recluse. And now we're facing uh, the generational trauma of the granddaughter. It's like, why were we not allowed to face the original generation of her and her brother and her and her son, this first generation, and now her and her granddaughter? Like, why, why are we not allowed to connect those things? They, there is nothing that really pulls them apart. And if anything, they go out of their way to pull them apart. Like they forcibly put a little bit of dialogue in there that's like, why is this happening to you? And she's like, people used to think he was my brother. They like purposefully are like, oh no, that was just a rumor. Instead of yeah. using the same amount of dialogue to be like, you know, this thing has followed me throughout my life and I've tried to start over so many times and I moved to the middle of nowhere and I can never get away. Like that's such a more compelling story. And you're just gonna throw sure. it away. So you can be cool. <laughs> yeah. I do think there I'm is some mad. elements in the film that do deal with post traumatic stress and isolation and do you know what I mean I do think there's a lot of um discussion about that in the film but I do agree with you there is a there is a more interesting story to be told but you know it's it's also quite nice to see at the end you know three generations of kick-ass women coming together to defeat this um shadow this sort of um perpetrator of abuse sort of meet his end at the mm-hmm. end of the film which is why i think that if this was just a film on its own i probably would have preferred it because i feel like it does tie up the story of because you know michael myers uh to Laurie is an abuser do you know what i mean and if there's anything yes. that we have seen you know over the last few years with a lot of you know with epstein and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. abusers really have long-lasting impressions on the life on the lives of the people they abuse so that i saw a lot of that in the halloween i think there was a lot of commentary on that it just didn't go Mm -hmm. far enough for me um but i did like that we did see the effect of um of the events on laurie but not only that the effects that it had on her um you know her kids and her grandkids yeah exactly that's what i mean i'm like you exactly fit into what Kevin Williamson was doing with H2O. He was trying to bring back and return to what the first two were doing and essentially wrap up that franchise. So even though you were going to start three more and talk a little bit more about, you know, now how not only that violence affected her raising a son, which is an incredibly compelling story, but how it also affects the women in her family, because those are two very important parts of what happens in a family and how generational trauma is passed. And I'm just sort of like, you sure. actually joined this universe by continuing that traumatic exploration, but said you didn't yeah. have to, which I'm like, why are you ignoring like the whole journey that she's already taken that's actually put her exactly where you want her to be? It's so strange. Well, I do think that maybe the reasoning why they're continuing that story, even though that was a, that was heavily leaned upon in H2O, is because of Halloween Resurrection. Yeah, I I think if Halloween resurrect if Halloween Resurrection hadn't become along, I think the new Halloween film would have looked very different. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
that is the interesting, you know, piece about these sequels that we're talking about and about all the franchises that I cannot wait to continue to open up with you is sort of like mm. how when they lose their way, returning or trying to find their way back is also a really interesting thing to watch, right? Like watching them make films to try to return to the original and how long that can take or how quickly that can happen is is kind of an interesting piece of just the Halloween franchise because like it's not a bad movie I absolutely enjoyed myself it's just so interesting that that's the way we came all the way back around that's what curled the end of this line to make it into a circle yeah crazy I know it's it's mm-hmm. um I completely understand what you mean completely get that um Tally yeah. B, we've come to the end of the of the show today and we've only covered the Halloween franchise with little like sprinklings of store and the conjuring and and other things like that but um i think like like you said earlier it's a good thing because it means that we can uh delve deep into other franchises um in other conversations because this is, i love this ongoing show it's amazing uh the real horror show it's uh definitely definitely one of my favorites because this is just two horror geeks just talking about what they enjoy and what they love and uh you know i think it comes across as well that we um that we thoroughly enjoy it because I really do. So thank you very much. Oh, ditto, ditto. I am doing what I can to solve technical difficulties and hopefully connect so we can just figure out a way to do this more often um, because I just, Mm -hmm. I always get such a wonderful hit of joy when we get to have these conversations. And I agree, you know, I'm really looking forward to continuing them and grateful that, you know, for whoever's listening and their recommendations, because I love fellow horror lovers. I'm just so grateful to have found you. Oh, I feel exactly the same. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see what our listeners as well uh, message us and suggest for us to watch. Anything that you suggest, guys, we will watch. We're not, you know, within reason, within reason. Um, (laughs) There's a couple of films that I won't watch. But if you do message us and it is one of those films that I... um, really really do not want to watch for to keep my sanity i will reply mm-hmm. to you and say thank you but no thank you but if it's a film that we uh would definitely cover please do let us know um as long as it's a horror film please do not um suggest something like love actually or um mean girls we want something that's, i mean mean girls is pretty terrifying but something, something scary is a scary genre right yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to do this again. You're the best. I hope you have a great evening because even though you're across the world, I'm sending you a hug, a safe social distance. Oh, I'm giving you a hug right now. Ugh, there you go. That's a hug. Yes. There. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to have an early night tonight. I'm going to have an early night because I'll tell you for why. It's going to snow tomorrow very heavily here. <gasps> and what I love what I love doing when it snows is going down to the beach because I, I live on the sea front. So going down mm-hmm. to the beach uh, when it's snowing, it's so much fun. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get wait. up early and head down to the beach. So um, I'm going to have an early night um, if I can sleep without Michael Myers uh, popping into my head every five minutes. But I might have to watch something uh, fun. Might have to watch an episode of a comedy before I go to sleep just to uh, just to clean cleanse my brain. Yep, yep, that's an important piece, and I can't wait to see the Instagram photos of the beach with snow all over it. It's so pretty. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, my lovely. And um, I'll speak to you next time. I'll schedule it in. And then um, 
Oh. Let me know when you're free next. I'll put, I'll schedule it in. But if you can't make those dates, just let me know. All right. Deal. Yay. Um, Take care. Have a good night. Talk to you soon. Ciao.